0: of you want God to move in your life? I think a lot of us want God to move. We want God to act on our behalf. Many of you are familiar with the account of Moses and the children of Israel found in Numbers chapter 11. The people had escaped from Egyptian bondage and they were traveling in the desert and God miraculously provided manna from heaven to sustain them. But after a while, they got tired of the manna and they wanted something else to eat. That sounds like my house. We'd say to the kids, what do you want to eat? Oh, no, I don't want that. You want this? No, I don't want that. Isn't that a common trait among humans? God blesses us. And initially when he blesses us, when he does something new in our life, we're all excited about it. We're like, wow, this is wonderful. But oftentimes after a short period of time, we begin to take the blessings for granted. And at times we become dissatisfied. So they begin to think back to the food that they ate in Egypt. And they begin to long for that. And before long, they start complaining and talking about how great it was back in Egypt. And they start talking about, we're going to go back. We got to really be careful about the way we talk. And the way we start to think. Because sometimes we can think back to what the old life was like. And it seemed like it was so great. You know what I mean? It seemed like it was so great. We quickly begin to forget what Egypt was really like for them. Now some would estimate that Moses is leading close to 2 million people. And if you've ever been on vacation in a car with your kids. And they start complaining. It gets old, doesn't it? Maybe you've been in the car with just one other person and they start to complain when you're on vacation. Well, imagine what it must have been like with 2 million people when they start complaining. They're longing for meat and it seems like such an overwhelming task that Moses actually tells God, God, will you just kill me now? Okay, God, just kill me. I can't do anything about it. You may as well just take me out right now. Well, God doesn't kill him. Instead, God instructs Moses to gather 70 elders. And he says, I'll come down and I'll meet with those men. And God says, I'm going to put the same spirit that I put on you, I'm going to put on them. And those 70 elders are going to help carry this burden that you're carrying, Moses. This is what God did. And as Moses does it, these elders begin to prophesy. Then God tells moses he says i want you to consecrate the people tell the people to consecrate themselves and get ready because tomorrow they're going to eat meat god had heard their complaining and god said i'm going to give you did any of you ever hear this if you want to cry i'm going to give you something to cry about anyone ever hear that i've heard that a few times If you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. God says to him, listen, you want meat? I'm going to give you enough meat. I'm going to supply you with so much meat, it's going to come out your nostrils. You're going to have more meat than what you know what to do with. And you'll eventually loathe it. And he said, here's the reason. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Can you imagine the insult that it was to God? They had been in bondage under a cruel taskmaster. They spent their lives enriching someone else. They were slaves. They were forced to do whatever Pharaoh said. They had to do it. Whatever his taskmaster said, they had to do it. And God delivered them by his mighty hand. Not only did God deliver them, they saw God's power displayed through the plagues. They saw the death angel. They saw God open up the Red Sea and part it and they went through on dry ground. When they left, the Bible tells us that they carried the wealth of Egypt. They plundered the Egyptians. I mean, as much gold and silver and precious stones as they could carry, they took with them from Egypt. And they say, nah, we want to go back to Egypt because they faced a challenging time. Because they were facing a difficult time, they say, let's go back to Egypt. Now Moses is still faced with this insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable task to lead 2 million people from Egypt through the desert and to the promised land. You may not have to lead 2 million people through the desert, but I bet many of you have been tasked by God to do something that seems impossible. Maybe today as you sit here, you're feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances, Maybe as we sit here, you're feeling overwhelmed by the situations in your life. Maybe there's a family situation or maybe there's a marriage situation or maybe there's a financial situation or maybe there's a relationship situation or something on your job or something in your business that it feels like it's just absolutely insurmountable. When you walk in, it's the thing that's on your head. It's a thing that weighs down on you as you walked in this building. Maybe when you walked in, you were looking for answers. Maybe when you walked in, you breathed a prayer saying, God, I I need you to do something about my vehicle. Lord, I need an answer for my kids. Lord, I need an answer for this struggle that I'm facing in life. Well, I have some good news for you today. Can I tell you, if you're looking for good news, you usually don't find it amongst the complainers. Okay, now let's be honest if we're honest Sometimes it is kind of cool to hang out with the complainers because when you hear them and their stories It makes you feel a little bit better because well at least I didn't lose that much money At least my wife's not that crazy at least my kids aren't that bad at least my mother-in-law She's you know, she's better than that when we're around the complainers sometimes they say misery loves company And so sometimes we're around people who are complaining. I'm doing better than what I thought Okay But you usually don't find a lot of good news with the complainers. You don't find good news back in Egypt. That place of bondage that you once were in, that God brought you out of, there's not a lot of good news back there. In fact, when you go back there, when you hear about back there, it's all bad news. It's not good stuff happening. Another person's life being destroyed. Another broken promise. Another painful experience. So, you don't find good news back in Egypt. That's why you're here today. Because you find good news when you get a word from the Lord. That's why you're here. You're not here by chance. The Holy Spirit led you here and brought you here. That's why you opened your Bible this week and started reading because you were looking for good news. That's why some of you turned on the Christian radio station or the Christian television station or why you clicked on that website, that podcast, because you were looking for good news this week. And the good news here comes in the form of a question that God poses to Moses. Numbers chapter 11 verse 21. There again, the background. People are complaining they want something to eat. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I'll give you meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short. You'll now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Here's the good news that comes in the form of a question. Is the Lord's arm too short? I want you to think about your situation. I want you to think about your circumstance. I want you to think about the thing that you walked into this church heavy with. And the question is, is the Lord's arm too short? Let me remind you today that his arm is not too short. His arm is not too short to heal your body. His arm is not too short to calm your storm. His arm is not too short that he cannot provide for your need. His arm is not too short that he can't rescue and deliver you out of all of your troubles. But in this situation, God is angry with them. And he says, you will see whether or not my arm is short. There's a passion in God's voice. They riled him up. Can I tell you, it takes a bit to rile God up. He doesn't get riled up real easily, but he does get riled up. And he says, I'm going to show you, you will see whether or not my arm is short. Like many of us, Moses is focused upon the logistics. God says he's going to provide meat and we have 600,000 men, not including women and children. God, how are you going to do this? Probably some of you say that to yourself whenever the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you some of the things he's going to do in your life. But Lord, how? Lord, how are you going to take care of it? How are you going to provide? Lord, how are you going to heal this relationship? Lord, how, how are you going to restore? How are you going to make something good come out of this? This is where we get bogged down. Over the years, we used to do the feeding of the 500, and we'd invite the local businesses here. And part of Bill's job, whenever he would do that, was be to figure out. We'd try to get a guesstimate of how many people were coming, and Jeff would go around to the businesses inviting them, and and then Bill would figure out. Well, we need this much meat per person. We need this many potatoes, and we need this many green beans, and we need this much gravy, and we need this much cake. And you know, you're trying to figure out how much food to buy, how do you provide, and you know, you're adding and multiplying and all those things. And can you imagine trying to figure out, okay, 600,000 men, not including women and children. Hmm, how many chickens do you think that'll take? Where are we gonna find, where can we get enough meat? How many burgers do you think each guy will eat? How many leg of lamb do you think each guy will eat? How, How much meat will it take? Where do we get it and how do we pay for it? he's trying to figure those things out in his head and saying, God, you make it. He says, where do you get resources to make this happen? Will you look at the person next to you and tell them that's above your pay grade? There are things that God says he's going to do or things that he asks you to do. There's things that God asks you to be involved in. And we get caught bogged down in the logistics of it And God says to you today, hey, that's above your pay grade. I didn't ask you to figure that out. That's my responsibility. We stop doing what he says because we can't figure out how he's going to do it. That's not your responsibility. There are things that are God's responsibility. It's not yours. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to take care of it. It's above your pay grade. Stick to what you're good at. Stick to your lane. My responsibility is to believe when God says he's going to do something. I want you to hear this. My responsibility is not to do all of God's work. My responsibility is not to figure out how it's all going to take place. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is when God speaks, my responsibility is first of all to believe him. That's my first responsibility. God says, I'm going to restore this relationship. And we just start figuring out, okay, now what can I do to make that happen? He didn't say you were going to restore it. He said he was going to restore it. God said, I'm going to heal. He didn't say you were going to heal them. He said he was going to heal them. God says, I'm going to deliver this person. He didn't say you were going to deliver them. He said he was going to do it. Okay, and so whenever he says he's going to do something, your first responsibility and what delights him is when you believe what he says. He said it. I just believe you, God. There again, I can go to bed at night because that's above my pay grade. Somebody else is responsible for that aspect. You're responsible for that. My second responsibility is to trust him with all my heart. When I quit worrying about it, when I quit trying to figure it out, that's part of trusting him. Just take him at his word. And then finally, my responsibility is to obey what he says. It's his responsibility to work out the details. And how does God work out the details? Here's these 600,000 men, not including women and children, looking for some meat to eat. Add a little protein. Everybody needs a little bit of protein in their diet, they're saying. He's looking to add a little protein to their diet. And God says, I'm going to send the wind. Now, it should not be lost on you that throughout Scripture, the wind is representative of the Holy Spirit. In every work that God does, He sends the wind. He sends the breath of His Spirit. It's His Spirit that is at work today in the world, at creation God breathed into Adam's lifeless body and he became a living creature. It made him from dust, but there was no life there. And it was the breath of God that brought Adam to life. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel, God gives him a vision, takes him out and lets him look out over a valley of dried bones. And he says, can these dried bones live? You think there's any hope? They're bones that are bleached. They're spread out. There's no meat on them. There's no skin on them. They're just bleached bones. And God says to him, do you think these bones can live, Ezekiel? He said, you know, Lord. God moves and then God told Ezekiel, he said, you prophesy to the breath. You prophesy to the breath and say this, say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. And so it was the breath of God that came into these dried bones and brought them to life and made them a vast army. The next Thing that we see is in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost as they gathered in that upper room the Bible says suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came where from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can I tell you that's how God works? He works through the breath. He works through the wind. He works through the Spirit. God often works suddenly. You're not necessarily expecting it. You've been sitting. You've been waiting. You've called out to Him and sometimes it seems like nothing happens And then all of a sudden, suddenly, the wind begins to blow. I don't know about you today, but I want to declare to you that I feel the wind. I want to declare to you that the wind of God, that God is getting ready to breathe on your situation. God is getting ready to breathe on your marriage. God is getting ready to breathe on your business. You know what all God has to do? All he has to do is breathe on that young person's addiction. Boom. All he has to do, all God has to do, that person who's sick, all he has to do is breathe. All he has to do is breathe upon them. And the Spirit gives life. That's the time that we're living in. God is gonna breathe on you. And this is what it says. Now a wind went out from the Lord. Do you hear that? It wasn't just like a Northeaster. It wasn't just something natural. A wind went out from the Lord. And listen to what it says. And verse, this is verse 31 of Numbers 11. And drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down around the camp to about three feet above the ground. As far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 omers. God sent a wind and it blew in the quail that were, it was a, like a migration of quail. And it says a day's walk in every direction. How far could you walk in a day? Can you walk 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles? You got 2 million people. You got 2 million people. They cover up a pretty big area a day's walk in each direction. So a day's walk in the north, a day's walk to the south, a day's walk to the east, a day's walk to the west from the center of the camp, a day's walk as far as they could go. The Lord sent a wind and it blew in this quail and they didn't even have to reach up to get them. Do you know what I mean? It said they came in at three feet. You know, it was just like, oh, there's one. They didn't have to jump for them. They didn't have to swing for them. They were right there at their hand. And it said that they gathered at least 10 omer. I mean, they had piles and piles of quail meat. As I was preparing my message, I began to think of some of the things that I feel God has put on my heart. There's a difference between when God puts something on your heart and when you come up with something. When I was doing my master's degree, one of the exercises we did for a class was to say this. If I had... Unlimited resources, unlimited resources means unlimited resources. Do you know what I mean? What do you want? You need, you need crayons? You got crayons. You need cash? You got cash. You want a root beer? You got a root beer. If you had unlimited resources and unlimited time, what would you do with your life? I built a new church and, and I was thinking, but I have unlimited resources So I wouldn't just build us one I was thinking how cool it would be How cool it would be to go other places Churches they're working hard But they don't have unlimited time and resources But I do So I would take my unlimited resources and go and I'd talk with them Can you imagine how cool it would be? To be able to hand someone the keys To a building, you know that they can't do it themselves and you just hand them the keys and say, hey, God bless you guys. I know you're working hard. You just find out what they need. You just take care of that. And then I was, I was thinking about it, and I said, you know what? I believe this. I might sound like I'm crazy, but all it takes is the wind. That's all it takes. All it takes is a breath. Just the breath of God. All it takes is the wind of his spirit, that God could bless my family. He could bless my finances, that he could bless us in a way. And I was thinking about that. God, it would be so cool. And you know what I honestly believe? I believe there'll be a day that God will bless. And people say, Pastor, that's not possible. You don't know the God that I serve. I believe this. I believe that God could bless my family, that I could hand somebody the keys to a church and say, hey, this is yours. God bless you. God bless you. You're starting this work and you're doing an awesome job. Here, fill it up where you're at. Here you go. How does that happen? That happens by the wind of God. Because these things that we are doing, they're not our dreams. My dream is the three or four weeks on the beach. That's a Richie dream. Giving someone else a new church, that's a God dream. You need to discern the things that God is putting on your heart. There's some that are Rio streams, and there's others that they're Jesus dreams. There's some things that are bear dreams and there's other things that's a Holy Ghost stream. There's something that God has put upon your heart that you say, how could I ever possibly do that? It seems so crazy, but who put it in your spirit? It was God. That's not yours. It's not your responsibility. Remember, it's above your pay grade. What are you to do? You're to trust God. God, you placed that in my spirit. You birthed that in my heart. Listen to me. There's things that God puts on your heart. It's not yours. God called Moses to lead those people. God said, I'm going to do a work. I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to touch people's lives, and I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to change the world, and I'm going to do it through you. You're going to be a vessel that I flow through. That's above your pay grade, how to do it. I'm asking you to believe me, to trust me with all of your heart and simply obey the steps that I tell you. You don't have to figure it out. It's not your job to do that. Your job is to trust and to believe me. Why? Because his arm is not short. All it takes is a breath. Wait a minute, God. If we got all the fish in the sea... If we had all the flocks, would there be enough to feed these people? And God says, and there came all the quail. All he has to do, friend, is breathe on your business. All he has to do is breathe on your marriage. All he has to do is breathe his spirit into your family. That's all it takes. You need another job, all he has to do is just breathe. And here's what the word says. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my what? My spirit, saith the Lord. It's by the Spirit of God that God moves and works. There's one other aspect that I need to address. The prophet Isaiah addressed it in Isaiah 59. He says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. When it talks about the arm of the Lord, it's talking about the Lord's might, his power, his strength. He says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. So I know that God's arm, his arm can reach down and touch that person in addiction. That's not too hard for God. That need for a financial breakthrough, that's not too hard for God. That sickness, that disease, Jesus already took that up across. He says, for by his stripes you're already healed. That's not too hard for God. His arm is not short, nor his ear dull to hear. But on occasion, there's something else that stands in the way of God's power being revealed in my life. It's not that he can't hear, it's not that he doesn't wanna hear. It's not that he doesn't have the authority and the power to intervene, but sometimes something else stands in the way. You know what that is? It's the next verse. He says, but your iniquities. God says, I wanna deliver you. I wanna provide for you. I wanna restore your relationship. I want to reveal myself. I want to display my power on your behalf. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. See, he's your God. He's not utterly forsaken you. He's your God. He's not forsaken you. He's not abandoned you. But your sins have separated you from God. And then he goes on to say, Your sins have hidden his face from you so he won't hear. He's not going to listen. At times, man and women's sins cause God to say, As long as you're doing that, I'm not listening to you. You can ask all you want, I'm not listening the Lord. He says, your sins have hidden his face from you, so he won't hear you. Can I tell you? It's not always large sins that separate us from the Lord. It's not always large things. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just that you won't do the simple things he's asked you to do. Sometimes you reject maybe the way we treat other people. And God says, you have an attitude towards someone else. And God's like, hey, as long as you have that attitude towards them, I can't work in your life. I really want to do good for you. I've asked you to help that person. You're too busy. Well, how is that a sin, God? I got my own responsibilities. I'm too busy. And God says, I want you to take a few minutes and help this person or care for this person or meet the need of this other person. And you're too busy to do that, but yet you call out to me. And those are sometimes the sins that are iniquities that that separate us from God. You're too busy for them. The crazy thing is this, is whenever I learn to be obedient, how quickly God answers. You ever notice that talk about fasting and prayer? People will say to me, whenever they fast and pray, how quickly God responds. A lot of times it'll take a few days to get a breakthrough. But after a couple days, someone called me last week. I fasted and someone called me for a job. You know what I mean? I don't even know how they got my number. They called me. God needs continued obedience from you. It can be things like delayed obedience that separate us from God. We don't tell God, I'm not going to do it. We say, Lord, I'm going to get around to it. I'll do it. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it on my time, God. The delayed obedience. It's not that we're rebellious against God outwardly. Maybe things like fear. Maybe things like unbelief. As I said, the reason why people experience great breakthrough in fasting is because... To fast, you have to humble yourself. What does the word say? If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what'll happen? They'll hear from heaven, God'll forgive their sins and 'll heal their land. And so this idea of humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves And turning from whatever God says has a way of bringing breakthrough. Last week, when we preached about tithing, I needed to say this to you. More than God wants your money, He wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. He wants you to listen to Him. Just listen. Because He's trying to lead you into blessing, He's trying to lead you into breakthrough. He's trying to lead you into favor. So we're going to finish out. But I want you to hear me. His arm's not short. His arm is not short. He's not deaf. But he can't hear. I don't know what your situation is. But is his arm short? Nah. Is his ear deaf? Nah. But today, if as we've as you've heard the word if there's something that's separating you if there's something that's hindering you then our responsibility is to get rid of that your sins have separated you from him our iniquities our sins have caused him to close his ear to us prodigal son when the father saw the son heading in his direction He ran towards him. I'm looking to bring you into breakthrough. I'm looking to bring you into God's favor. I want to see his blessing poured out on every part of your life. I want your marriages better. I want your relationships better. I want your businesses better. I want your finances better. I want your health better. I want your joy and peace greater. I'm just a common pastor. I care about you. I love you, but he died for you. He wants the very best for you. And don't let anything get in the way. Don't force him to withhold from you. Don't force him to withhold from you.